Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Have you been able to like go to the movies or anything? Uh, I mean, I probably could, but. I, I think the local theater doesn't have recliner seats. I I kind of need to keep my leg elevated. So, no, I've been I've been I've been stuck in the house for most of it. I've been like, you know, like taking little walks around the neighborhood and here and there, but like mostly just inside. Yeah, you're straight up rear window mode. Yeah, dude. Definitely. No, I like a weekend. I I def I rewatched Rear Window because I was like, I gotta give it. I gotta give this a go. See if it hits a little different. It's different. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have any hot neighbors. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> Doesn't quite hit the same. None of your neighbors are either hot or criminals. Damn. Yeah. That's yeah. Exactly. I was just, I just wanted to see something. But yeah. Everyone's got curtains. Everyone's got curtains nowadays. So. <laughs> That's so true. People like their privacy. <laughs> you know. Welcome to Extended Clip. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm GT White. And we are back. We're done with the last season of Extended Clip, the reunion tour. And you know what? We're just going to keep rolling. We're not, you know, we didn't reunite just to do one last job or something like that. We're back in it. This is a podcast again, every fucking week. It's official. And we're starting with a little music mini series, as we've teased before, you know, talking about some rockumentaries. Some fictional films about music, some concert films, stuff like that. And uh, first up on the docket, we are going to be talking about Michael Winterbottom's film from 2002 about Factory Records starring Steve Coogan, 24-hour party people. And joining us uh, to talk something of an expert on the subject matter at hand here uh, to guide us into the realm of... Uh, into the abyss of post-punk and new wave music is Karis Hewling. Hey, I'm really excited to be here and to talk about a movie that I really love. And I'm also very autistic about the history. Well, this is the place to come for that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason in my my mind, I thought it was like, well, there is a pretty good reason why I thought it, I guess. I thought it was one of those like all happens in one day type mm, movies. Yeah, because of the title hours, 24 Hours. 24 Hour Party People, which yeah. to be honest is is kind of even dumber than I even kind of realized. But uh no, I you know, I'm a I'm a fan of a lot of the music in this movie, you know, and uh but I never I didn't know the lore, the history, all the, you know, all the goings on, how, you know, the scene that it came out of. I you know, nowadays you could just find an MP3 and just listen to it and you don't even have to know anything about the artist so yeah. it was it was cool to yeah. learn a little bit of uh the history get my history hat on it's the perfect launching point for this series because we talk about history a lot on this podcast uh, as it pertains to films and so if we're going to talk about films that are about music we might as well get into some music history uh so this is a great slice of music history presented uh stylized by michael winterbottom through a very uh 
improv heavy style uh starring steve coogan maybe the king of acting in that style uh, especially for contemporary comedy actors and it's shot by robbie moeller in this like fucking garish uh mini dv format in 2002 some early digital stuff and i just think it's so remarkable how ugly it all looks as a way to capture the doom and gloom of manchester at that time and how you know uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast about like the low light capability of digital and how crazy it looks in like club scenes and stuff like that and that's why the musical performances feel so electric uh, in that mini DV format, or even when it's uh, you know crossing across footage shot on film from a long time ago, but you know I, I really love the aesthetic choices made by uh, Moeller as a cinematographer here uh, to inform the history. Yeah, it definitely puts the music into context historically, which is what I appreciate. And it is really in the end about the power of music and specifically about Manchester. It's a city whose industrial coldness and gloom has inspired so many artists and it's been able to transform darkness into community and light. And I think that's really what it's about. Manchester represents this ability to transcend and create something out of nothing. Uh, Movie Tony starts out by saying, most of all, I love Manchester. That is my heroic flaw, my my excess of civic pride. Hey, it's a guy who loves his town, you know. <laughs> but like the 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 local scene angle of music, you know, you'll never get really like a much better story than this as subject matter when it comes to just uh, as as a narrative. It's such an interesting kind of underdog narrative, uh, and especially as like music as a business, and then this complete failing business model that produced some of the most influential music and just best selling music ever, despite it being a flailing uh, business model. Um, I I just think it's like such an interesting cross-section of so many interests of myself in this podcast, like uh, culturally and aesthetically and everything like that. The, the vantage point of the movie, I think makes it really interesting with, you know, Tony, this head of a label slash, you know, I guess a journalist on the side slash game show host, Man of many uh, talents. A but, man about uh, th- th- maybe a nominee for the next Golden Gear Man About Town Award. Oh my god! I mean, yeah, I mean he's Mister Manchester, and uh, I feel like it ca- having him kind of be the center and, and the vantage point from all of this for all all of these happenings. I think is like a real advantage for the movie because uh, I don't know. It doesn't like it, it'd be very easy to sentimentalize uh you know music or whatever mm-hmm. and i and, and i don't think this movie does that i think it kind of keeps the attitude of the artists that you know it was portraying at the time and kind of having this you know flailing uh label head be the vantage point gives you you know some of the r- doses of reality of the industry you know these guys were good musicians but you know they were a big reason why they hung out all the time you know is because they like doing drugs together you know mm-hmm. and and amongst other things and, and, you know, other things that put like the business side of it in peril and, you know, him kind of being, being the catalyst for all of that, this and kind of doing it for his own self-satisfaction, you know, it's, it's not really about whether he's selfish or not, but I think it just gives it that uh, dose of reality that really, uh, you know, makes this movie stand out. 
Yeah, Tony was a crazy man. So he started off on Granada Reports uh, on the BBC, and then he got his own show called So It Goes, where he presented more artists, and that's when he first presented like the Sex Pistols after going to their first show. Um, but this movie was actually based on a book he wrote by the same name, 24-Hour Party People. His voice is definitely in the movie. Like, mm. Steve Coogan is such a perfect choice for him. Like, Yeah, Coogan's performance in this is incredible because he's able to embody this personality that controlled this, like, cultural, economic, social, like... Uh, you know, order almost that Factory Records was in terms of Manchester, uh, Manchester's identity, you know, uh, in terms of culture. Uh, but it's also Steve Coogan doing a Steve Coogan improv riff performance, you know, like he's constantly going off onto little tangents uh, that are incredible. Like when he's talking about how his jeans, you know, split his nutsack into two <laughs> uh, and he's like complaining <laughs> about the the hem on the jeans. It's just so good. And there's so much like, you know, the stuff about there being two Tonys at the club, even if that was real, just the way Steve Coogan plays it is just his great like comedy of buffoonery. And it's just, he's such a funny performer that, no matter how many personal transgressions he makes, you're it's not just a matter of rooting for the character. It's just you can't look away. He's so electric as a performer. One thing about like Coogan's performance and like the character of Tony Wilson for me is just like because he's not like because uh, he's not a musician, mm. I feel like it allows like the structure of this to be like, I don't know, kind like it certainly tells like a full story about the scene, but it has this sort of loose episodic nature to it where like Coogan will kind of take a back seat and you'll get like uh Ian Curtis and Joy Division like sort of taking the forefront. And I feel like the way the film is able to like intermingle between these worlds, I'd say is like definitely like works well with the energy of the style and i feel like also just uh i don't know keeps it fun and playful and not like i feel like many music biopics especially ones that are trying to like capture a moment i i fail at that and i feel like because this one just jumps around all over the place it helps it succeed and it resists so many of those musical biopics like uh tropes you know like it's crazy how vast this movie's timeline is you know it covers so much chronology uh and yet it doesn't have that typical rise and fall that you see in all those other music biopics that uh you know take place over a long period of time uh you know like what was it two years after this you got ray by taylor hackford and uh walk the line by james mongoloid both being up for best picture <laughs> and then it's just like oh there's actually innovative cutting edge musical biopics that tell interesting parts of musical history uh like it, it, it's a thing that has potential to actually be a fucking awesome subgenre of dramatic film the musical biopic uh but it's just so often rendered in the worst way possible that this movie not just being great on its own right it's also uh just such a breath of fresh air in terms of the genre yeah and i think one movie that really comes to mind uh when thinking about comparisons is almost famous right like mm, yeah almost almost kind of like similar like 
even though it's like the young critic in that it's kind of has like the outsider outsider's viewpoint of a scene and whatnot and you know kind of is uh, like the complete opposite you know approach that uh, this movie takes and uh, it's funny just to compare those movies because it's like also you know i i don't even remember what type of music they're covering in almost famous but it's like <laughs> this, this this music's like objectively like cooler i'm not saying it's better it is maybe it is it's better i don't don't remember it is better okay i didn't i don't know if there was like a band you liked that they cover in almost famous i didn't want to insult you or whatever (laughs) um but uh uh because i forgot i forgot the bands in that movie the kid likes led zeppelin but i don't think there's a fake led zeppelin in the band i think it's like more of like an aerosmith type uh second wave (laughs) classic rock band so that kid really didn't want to miss a thing covering that scene um, but, <laughs> nice. Thank you. But I, I, uh-huh. I, like, I, I more and more, I, I feel like a movie's attitude and disposition is like more meaningful to me. Is becoming more meaningful to me when I like assess movies, and I just love like the way this movie carries itself, and I, I, I think that's something that I almost admire the most out of it. The real Tony Wilson, uh, after watching this movie, said that the miracle of the film is that it's a complete bunch of lies, but it tells the truth. Which, that is perfect because of one of the great quotes in cinema history that's uh, played into a blowjob scenario uh, in this film. When uh, Steve Coogan evokes John Ford's uh, Print the Legend uh, mocks him from uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance into, you know, look, maybe Tony Wilson didn't actually get walked in on getting head from two prostitutes uh, outside of the first night at the club, uh, but you're going to print the legend no matter what. And uh, look, far be it from me to just be like, oh, John Ford reference, that's easy points for me. You got to earn that. You got to earn that. Uh, and I, they, the movie earns the print the legend theme for sure. And I think, well, it, the whole movie kind of being based on kind of a sense of oral history. You know what I mean? This is like a very like oral history type movie, you know, and I kind of I, I kind of like that aspect of it. It's because it's like all the stories you hear about like bands and whatever and their escapades and, you know, whether they're real or not, they add to kind of like the lore of why you like them, you know, they're. Mm-hmm their image and whatnot and you know that that's that's why it is the truth because it is like it's a it's going back on this music and how it made people feel and the stories were a part of them and whether the stories were real or not um you know the movie makes the smart decision and not really sussing that out just Mm -hmm. to print the legend as they say the movement and everything that came out of it was what was real and what matters in the end Exactly. And, exactly. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, performances that are, you know, kind of mimicry of people. Uh, but I like that they put those next to real cameos from the people. Like, you know, you have the guy acting as uh, the lead from Happy Mondays. You know, he kind of looks like Malcolm a little bit. <laughs> uh, but then it's like, maybe that's distracting for two minutes. But then you get like old man 
not old man, but like middle-aged Marky Smith uh, as himself for five seconds. And it's just like, it's a very disorienting kind of thing. And I think that's what's so great about this movie is it takes the postmodernism that was inherent in some of that music and applies it to its film style with the mockumentary qualities and the jumping back and forth through time and the direct addresses that Coogan gives, uh, whether he's in or out of the Tony Wilson character. When he talks about musical history as a double helix, uh, and how things are constantly moving forwards and backwards at the same time. And hey, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like the last season of the podcast and the whole intent of that? Uh, you know, just just a little pat on the back to myself there. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting it's a postmodern way of looking at history uh, as an ever flowing continuum. Uh, and I think it's really the only way to look at the history of art, like uh, as we are now with like so much of it behind us, uh, whether we're talking about movies or music, like you can't look at anything in a vacuum and you can't look at just this in a vacuum. You have to think about, you know, the rock scenes that led into it. And unfortunately maybe you have to think about some of the stuff that came out of it that wasn't so hot. Uh, and I, I think that's what this film really accomplishes is a really, really smart sense of history. Even if there's a lot of individual lies, uh, it being made in 2002, looking back at this late 70s into the 80s period uh, is just it feels like the hindsight is fully there. And it's a movie that understands its own history. Yeah. Like post punk itself isn't you know something that came immediately after punk you know like it's not a whole separate movement you know it's something that evolved over time out of one movement taking things from the past and moving on with it in the future you know like we're all just constantly taking things and reworking them and the that scene where you know uh, you see Joy Division becomes New Order, and you see the new trio of New Order uh, kind of putting together a version of Blue Monday uh, with just a guitar, uh, and it really does feel like an old school rock and roll song. As I'll come back to again, you know, it's like all, it's like these guys don't fuck with Elvis on a on a one to one level, but like that's all informing it. The, the continuum of rock history is always going to be there, uh, and that's what it took for them just to like to strip down the songwriting, and then they switched it all over to electronic instruments, and New Order was born. And hey, yeah, like that mm. is what this movie is about. Like taking something out of darkness and building upon it you know Mm. new order was birthed out of a broken joy division you know they Mm. what else were you supposed to do like after your lead singer dies but they turned it into something beautiful and they didn't stick with the past they took the good things about it and then they made it into their own and that's the same thing with the birth of the hacienda you know it started out just for bands that Tony Wilson liked to play and then it birthed DJ culture and rave culture and all of this community and light. Yeah, I really like that part where uh, it's all in slow motion and Steve Coogan's giving a direct address. Suddenly, everything came together. The music, the dancing, the drugs, the venue, the city. I was proved right. Manchester was like Renaissance Florence. Mike Pickering was right. You don't need bands in a club. Sean Ryder was right. New Order were right. We all came together. 
Everyone came to the Hacienda. It was our cathedral. Manchester, birthplace to the railways, the computer, the bouncing bomb. Tonight, something equally as epoch-making is taking place. See? They're applauding the DJ. Not the music, not the musician, not the creator, but the medium. This is it. The birth of rave culture. The beatification of the beat. The dance age. This is the moment when even the white man starts dancing. Welcome to Manchester. Feels like it's a culmination of everything he worked toward for the first hour of the movie, for the first decade of the movie, chronologically, whatever. Like the fact that people are at the club and applauding the music that's playing between bands playing uh, is just like that's that has to be his absolute high point, you know. Uh, and to feel like the pure joy through you know, the the smirking sensibility of Coogan's direct addresses uh, is such a great way to cut that down because you're not going to have the full glorious moment that you would in other musical biopics. It's always going to mm. be a little dingy and cut down to size in this, which I love. Exactly. And, you know, the name Factory itself, Alan mm -hmm. Erasmus, uh, one of the original founding partners with Tony, uh, he saw a closing factory in Manchester and decided that it would be cool to name something Factory and have it opening instead of closing, you know, mm -hmm. something birthed out of this industrial city where there really wasn't much, but finding inspiration anyways. And hey, that music, pretty, uh, pretty inspirational. <laughs> Are you, I, so... Malcolm, you said you you like the music. JT, are you are you a fan of the this type of music? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd say I'm a fan, but again, I feel like on a very like I don't know small like sort of introductory level. Mm -hmm. And for me, one thing that I feel like is effective or, or like speaks to how effective the film is, where you were talking Eddie about how there's like a rich sense of musical history present. Uh in the film and like even again someone who is less well versed in the lore of these creative scenes like i am coming into it you are still you you may not get the in jokes but i feel like you're able to get like un like you get the understanding that there is that rich history there that they're exploring and because there's such a level of specificity uh of the scene i feel like that like i don't know that becomes like one of the more universal elements of it because uh talking about coogan saying like that his we his one weakness is for manchester and so and something like that it's like there is this like i don't know i don't want to say like everyone's from a shitty place but people that are from shitty places I feel like have this sort of sense of pride of like whether you're like it's the environment that you were sort of raised in or grew up in. And there's that affection there in this scene while also being like like the fact that it was such a dark, miserable place is what inspired the music. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I don't think you even necessarily have to be from a bad place to be as uh 
you know, um, prideful about you know civic duty uh, as he puts it as yeah. is because you know what this reminded me of was los angeles plays itself it's like one artistic minded person's uh vision for art in the city that they love you know uh and for los angeles plays itself it's a work of criticism and it's him saying well this is why the movies have lied to you about los angeles and these are the movies that told you the truth about los angeles uh for this, Tony Wilson is saying this is the music that is going to, you know, define this city for 20 years. And he was right. Uh, and that's uh, quite the accomplishment. Uh, Malcolm, any uh, any final thoughts on 24-Hour Party People as we wrap up here? I was really impressed by this movie, you know, kind of the, the pace that it moves at and, uh, you know, its formal inventiveness kind of like, a, you know, being that early digital look and, you know, leaning into it hard and these club scenes and these performances, making it kind of immersive, kind of like you're there, you know, there, there are cameos from like people in the scene, but you know, if you blink, you'd miss them, you know, they're, they're very fleeting. It's like you, you see Mark E. Smith as you're walking in to the club for five seconds and he comments something at you and, I think there there is something cool about how, you know, it does have all these in-jokes, but I don't think it's in a way where it's like, uh, I don't know, inaccessible. I think it's showing you kind of, you know, the ultimate context of everything and where it came from. And, you know, if you don't get like these in-references, it's only encouraging you to be like, what what is that? I want to I wanna know what they're talking about. I want to look up, you know, what they're talking about. So I get that reference, you know. Why, why are they laughing about the letter E? Mm-hmm. I'm going to look that up on Urban Dictionary. You know? <laughs> but, um, uh, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I was really impressed. I, I didn't, and not knowing anything about this movie going in, I, uh, I just, it really, it, you know, just the way it moves narratively, you know, kind of speeding through 20 years, but not, you know, leaving anything on the table that it finds important and kind of just, I don't know, like, uh, I like how this movie digresses too, like, mm-hmm. uh, like, like kind of like s- the stuff that we know, you know, couldn't be true. Kind of like the fantasy scenes, like, uh, when those, what is it? The, the blue Mondays. What's, what's the band name? The happy Mondays. The happy Mondays. Yeah. Close, close enough. Yeah. But, um, no, trust the, me. Well, because blue Monday being a yeah. big hit is a narrative oh, yeah. in this movie. So it's like, <laughs> I even wrote down the Blue Mondays at one point. It was like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> Yeah, the Happy Mondays. Ironic, because I'm usually, when I have to go to work on Monday, I'm not too happy. But um, Got a real Garfield I, right here. <laughs> but like when they, you know, sh- sh- uh, shoot poison at the pigeons and they all yeah. die. Or Steve Coogan hosting a British Wheel of Fortune. You know what I mean? I, I, I always like a willingness to, to go anywhere. And I, I feel like kind of, by mythol mythologizing these these artists and kind of uh, not going for like these big sweeping moments like a lot of music movies like to do like you know this one concert performance that changed it all. I mean, it's the the one concert performance that changed it all was not a big moment. It was Coogan seeing the Sex Pistols live in front of you know thirty people. You know, and but kind of. Uh, knowing that those moments are valuable too you know it, it like i, I rewatched uh we are your friends recently a movie i i love that's a classic extended clip double feature about rave culture would have been this and we yeah. are your friends 
Yeah, double that up if you haven't. If yeah. you haven't seen those movies. But the one the fatal flaw of that movie is like how much weight it puts on its like final performance scene. And it's just like a shitty like fucking song made with like nail gun sounds and like <laughs> voicemail recordings, you know what I mean? And it's like it's that like cool. it's, it's like all industrial. It, <laughs> it sounds like Einsters and Newbouton. <laughs> it almost sounds like it could be good, but like it you know, kind of just does it in like the, the corniest way possible, you know. But uh, so yeah, I think I think uh, this movie captures the coolness of music scenes and bands and why we're attracted to them. And I think that's something that a lot of uh, music movies kind of uh, ignore sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, they they kind of go for uh, the rise and fall, the success of the industry success all the money they made well that's Um, the thing that's what i want to get into as kind of my closing talking point on this is like i i think an interesting way to look at music based narrative movies is where they come down on like art as commerce you know Uh, because a lot of them don't even think about it a lot of them don't even have the selling out beat to it you know Mm mm-hmm and so many of them, like we just watched Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains the other night, which is a very fun movie and it's a very smart movie. And it's directed by Lou Adler, who, you know, was like a record mogul and also produced movies. Uh, and it's clearly like very smart about the music industry and like how bands get famous and make money and stuff like that. But the specificity was nowhere to be found. Like there's no like real specific music scenes in that movie. It's all kind of signposts, but it all kind of rings true enough. Uh, whereas this movie, the uh, the spec- it's all about the specificity and the music. Like it's almost not about the business to a point of being not about the business to where there's multiple plot points about how much money they lost and how you know that blue monday 12 inch every copy they sold they lost five cents on because the fucking artwork cost so much to print you know uh like they were purely asthetes uh like no business mind at all and not even in like a leftist way it's in a purely like I love art way and like that's one of the most inspirational things you can see in a movie about artists when it's so funny that like music is almost never treated in that way in movies like music biopics are always about success and money uh and it's so funny how much this flies in the face of that and that might be its strongest argument as a movie beyond its specificity that's what uh tony described factory as he said it was a laboratory experience in popular art like yep peter saville one of the uh original graphic designers he did almost all of the factory covers he was one of the original partners art mattered that much we got to get one of those on this podcast we gotta we gotta start making like uh you know individual artwork for each episode but it's like a giant like 30 megabyte file like the image artwork that you have to download alongside (laughs) it and i'm putting up bandwidth for everyone to download it (laughs) Good, Eddie. I'm glad you agree that you want to get into the NFT business. I've been waiting to expand this. I've been trying to push Karis on the NFT stuff forever. It's like the perfect lab for a graphic designer to just cook, you know? Oh, I've got some apes cooking. 
Um, JT, any any final thoughts wrapping up on this one? I went into this also not really knowing anything, just like other than having the heard the title uh, many times and seeing Steve Coogan on the cover and thinking, oh, he's playing like one of uh, his usual types of zany characters. And it's like, that's true. I mean, that's true to some extent, but like the mixture of it being like a real person and just sort of like embodying like this sort of chaotic energy too works very well. But yeah, I don't know for a movie that's like as informed and intelligent, it just feels like super fun and offhand, just like stylish and off the cuff. It just, everything feels like, like the perfect, like fun hangout you want, like getting into a music movie. I feel like one of the best things it can do is just sort of embody like, I don't know, hanging out with fun and cool musicians and just like the sense of being there. And uh, it does that just like not only with like the characters and how it tells the story, but just, uh, I don't know, the visuals incorporate that a lot too. And just, I love how funny it is like throughout and it will be funny in like small ways, like uh, Coogan really objecting to like his first wife saying he has like big hips uh just just like a moment like that is so fucking funny where it's just like just pure like kind of i don't know the the performance of it but then the movie will have huge swings with like ridiculous like the way it ends like with uh tony wilson seeing himself as god talking to him after smoking a joint on a rooftop Delivering one of the best lines ever. It's good music to chill out to. <laughs> yeah. So good. And and he's right. Karis, any any final thoughts on 24-hour party people? It's a good time. You get good music and you get a little bit of history as well. It's a good movie to chill out to. It's a good movie to chill out to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know... I've been thinking about the ratings and I think maybe for the music series, I want to forgo them because I want to talk about music. This is like a narrative feature film, but we're going to talk about stuff that's not narrative feature films. And we're going to talk about, you know, songs and stuff like that and like performances and like, you know, uh, concert films and stuff like that. I feel like maybe we ditch the five bullet scale for now and every movie that we're presenting is getting a shiny gold record. I'm sure our fans are going to miss the loud gunshot sounds that just uh, startle them awake in every episode. Well, maybe you could, you, could, you could just, I don't know, after we're done giving our opinion, just unload the clip. <laughs> just, like you thought. Just randomly put gunshot sounds throughout the episode. I'll sprinkle them in. Make sure you guys wake up a little. We should make it sound like a mixtape with like random like car crashing sounds and just gunshots. You know, really embrace the musical nature. Yeah, of we our need project. to have some skits in this uh, season, <laughs> dude. I think I am going to commission a DJ drop. I forgot that I was going to do that, but I think I'm going to try to get that happening. We're in music producer mode now. We got to get some skits in here. We got to get some DJ drops, dude. I was listening to Purple Haze the other day. All the skits on that are so funny. White crackhead in those sketches. I've said this before, but it's like, that's definitely Hunter Biden. That's Hunter <laughs> Biden to a T right there. <laughs> so that's going to do it on 24 Hour Party People. We will be right back on Extended Clip. And for now, 
Let's listen to a little bit of music from Happy Mondays. Extended clip. It's everybody's favorite segment. Malcolm in the middle. And guess what, baby? Malcolm's back. No more JT in the middle. Speaking of our fans <laughs> being relieved. True. I had tons of fans reach out to me and say, Where are you? Where's the why aren't you on the episode? So that was really nice for all the fans to do that. That is very nice for all of the fans to do that. <laughs> because <laughs> whoever did that that's all of them um malcolm have you uh have you seen any uh anything notable musical or otherwise uh recently i i've been watching a lot of movies lately with, you know with my parents i'm i'm chilling with my parents a lot lately don't judge me do you go out with friends well a, a boy's best friend is his mother <laughs> exactly you know and that they you know they made more movies about that guy so he was doing something right but uh <laughs> i i kind of you know i was just like going through the backlog of my mind and, and I, I feel like i inadvertently i've been showing them movies that were like big adolescent influences and the two movies in particular i showed them were heathers and uh donnie darko two movies i i I enjoy still to this day. Maybe Donnie Darko a little bit more than Heather's, I think maybe holds up a little bit better for me personally. But um, I don't know. This, the, like, I think Donnie Darko specifically, it definitely gets lumped in with like, I don't know, like Fight Club or whatever, Boondock Saints or like, just like, it's a very teenager movie. And, you know, obviously I think that's what it's, you know, it's going for. It's very popular amongst teenagers and I, I feel like people kind of dismiss it for being kind of like, I don't know, just adolescent bullshit. But I think, I don't know, there's just uh, the lead performance and kind of like this uh, this this love letter to mental illness that Donnie Darko is, is just kind of uh, is great. And Richard Kelly, you know, he's filled to the brim with style and it, it has a great uh, like late 80s soundtrack, you know, chock full of hits. And uh, I think I think it's still this still might be my favorite Gyllenhaal performance to this day. So um, D- Donnie Darko still holds up. He was so good early on. Yeah, he w- he was a great like teen actor, man. Like that um that Nicole Holofcener Center movie where he has like a weird thing with uh, Kathleen Keener, where he's like a teenager working at a photo lab, and his high school bullies call him Jizz. Uh, that's like his nickname that the bullies gave him. I didn't know about this movie. I need to check it out. 
it's uh it's okay i think it's lovely and amazing i think it's that one i watched them all okay. in one in one week so sometimes they run together um but yeah no because gyllenhaal's fantastic in that and then i would say chronologically like zodiac might be as late as i go with him like in terms of really liking him i don't know i'm just not i've never been a huge never been a huge uh gillen head as it were I think at the at the time I liked Nightcrawler. I liked it when it came out. I I mm. probably would have, I probably would raise a finger in Elmbridge now, watching <laughs> it. But I def, definitely now, definitely at the time, I, I was I was into the to the Gyllenhaal there. Are you wagging that finger that you're raising? Yeah, yeah sometimes when I when I dislike a movie, I'll I'll raise my finger in Umbridge and being like, this is not this is this is not the art form yeah. I love. That's how I can always tell you're in the theater with me, is I see someone's finger just pointed up at the screen. Doing the Dikembe Matumbo. <laughs> no, no. Get that out of here. That is how I used to uh, return DVDs to blockbusters. <laughs> Throw it in the door, give them the Dikembe Matumbo on the way out. Just slamming blockbuster, just really shoving it in there. Scaring the guy who's working there. You know, it's that's what I, streaming It's because I hated you. the movie. I'm saying, no, I don't like this movie. <laughs> JT, you see anything uh, good recently? Yeah, I just got back from vacation. And while I was on vacation, I, I honestly didn't watch all that much. But I'd say something that left a good impression on me before I left uh, was... Uh, fear.com and uh, this is a film uh, that friend of the pod and uh, former guest Ethan Vespi has been pushing uh, pretty hard and really singing the praises of and I figured uh, I don't know it was about time to uh, check it out I freely like it might have might have watched on Tubi or something like that I don't know if it's still uh, available on there but like uh I I love the charms of the movie because uh, I don't know just the style and tone are fun and it's something that you don't uh, really see much anymore because of course it is a Steven Dorf vehicle it's like very much type of like a new metal like Hollywood movie like somewhat like downstream from being sort of like a Seven or Rob Zombie. Uh, type aesthetic doesn't really quite nail that because it's like I don't know it's it's pretty stupid and self-serious but like there there's a there's kind of a charm to that now I feel like seeing something that's like so I I, like that has like no jokes self-serious like that type of movie I feel like where maybe like growing up uh, in this era it would have like put me off to something I feel like there's so many just just the tone of movies nowadays is like always undercutting itself and to see something that like has like a dumb as bricks sort of plot about like a website ghost uh murdering people like taken like seriously at face value is like one it is kind of goofy to see and like you can get pleasure of it being like silly and and dumb on that regard but also just the fact that the movie's playing it straight was a breath of fresh air and uh i don't know just gruesome at points uh good enough time 
Nice. I got to check that one out. Ethan's been hyping that one up forever. Um, Karis, I, you know, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but we seem to watch a lot of the same movies. I wonder why that is. Is there anything that both of us have What's watched going on over there? independent of each mm-hmm. other <laughs> in the last week or so uh, that you're looking at my letterbox diary to see that you might want to talk about? I really liked Jackie Brown. Oh, yeah. That I was watched awesome, that huh? for the first time. Yeah. That was really sick. Very funny. Uh, watched uh, Inglorious Bastards for the first time, too. Really getting my uh, freshman film bro on. I also watched Affliction by Paul Schrader the other day, uh, which was quite good. That one is a very angry movie <laughs> with, uh, you know, James Coburn and Nick Nolte basically having a snarl off, you know, like each of them seems like they just like took a big bite of food before they said each line of dialogue, you know, and it's it's really something James Coburn. It's really saying something when his dialogue is almost like more unintelligible than Nick Nolte in a movie, uh, but it's incredible. They're so intense. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, the hilarious tagline, like father, like son, dot, 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 question mark. <laughs> uh it's uh yeah it's paul schrader's hereditary i guess but uh yeah nick nolte is just like a guy who seems like he's brain damaged from being drunk all the time uh but then halfway through the movie you find out he's brain damaged from something else and like any good brain damaged citizen he is a small town policeman he's investigating a murder and uh there's there's just like so much grisly stuff out in just like the wilderness of the northeast and like deer hunting season uh and then you cut that like super like i don't know it's it's a very like austere and plain style almost uh all these exteriors but then you cut to these flashbacks that are like super grainy and maybe even shot on super eight or something like that which is where most of the james coburn performance takes place at least for the first half of the movie you can't you can kind of think of the structure of the card counter as a recent comparison for schrader uh the way the abu Ghraib footage is treated in that which is like shot in such a crazy expressive style uh as like a as a repose from the rest of like the super clinical footage uh so yeah that like flashback footage of coburn you know just being like a crazy angry abusive dad uh to his kids who are you know nick nolte and willem dafoe who willem a weird thing about this movie is willem dafoe does the voiceover for this movie but he doesn't show up on screen until an hour in and it's just like a very strange structural gambit that he went for there uh it didn't really like feel like an epic reveal halfway in that he's actually in the movie or anything like that it just kind of maybe a little confused and i would say it's maybe not even a great movie on a script level uh and you could blame that on it being an adaptation i guess and not something that you know schrader uh started from scratch but i think like enough of the material overlaps with his own personal story uh and like this like super hyper conservative hyper religious up and strict upbringing uh that these kids had uh you know mirroring paul schrader and his brother leonard schrader's uh upbringing and uh yeah there's just like enough to make a very personal film out of it 
And uh, yeah, it's maybe not Paul Schrader's greatest film or anything like that, but it's absolutely uh, a must watch if you even like him as a filmmaker. Affliction from 1997. Have you guys seen that one? Yeah, I've seen I've seen uh, that one before. And I kind of forget like the plot details, but I remember the mood and like kind of just the gruffness and the old manness of that movie. You know what I mean? Just a lot of like grunting. Doesn't he? Look, yeah. Isn't he like a drunk too? Isn't Nick Nolte a drunk or something? Or yeah, I- yeah. That's the thing. It's like you think he's brain damaged from being drunk all the time, but he's also like even worsely brain damaged than worse. Like he has even worse <laughs> brain damage than that. Uh, there's a great scene where like uh, he's smoking a joint in the car with fucking Prez from The Wire. Uh, Officer Prez Belusky is in this movie. I think his name is Jim True Frost, the actor. Uh, and like he's like this loose cannon youngster uh, in this small town uh, who is like kind of the red herring of the murder plot at first. Uh, but it's very funny to see, you know, Officer Presbo passing Nick Nolte a joint uh, and other hijinks like that. There's also a funny scene where uh, Nick Nolte's drinking and driving while driving his daughter and like his daughter's like complaining like, uh, you know, I can't like eat with you because, you know, mom wants me to eat healthy food and everything you eat is bad. And he's like, I just thought we'd uh, sneak some Big Macs on Ma like we used to. <laughs> like, he's like <laughs> saying that while he's like drinking a beer and smoking a cig in the car, like hotboxing a cig with his like five year old daughter in the front seat. <laughs> it's just fucking insane. Um yeah, I, I I really like Affliction. It's like far from perfect, but it's definitely gonna stick with me for a while. That's my favorite like trope of like '90s, early 2000s movies is that like if someone's divorced, like usually like the mom wants them to eat like healthy food. Yeah, right. Yeah, like you like, and it's just like the dad's just like, oh my god, I don't want to, I don't want to eat my fucking vegetables. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> Um, to to bring it back to the music, uh, I also I watched a couple rewatched a couple music films. Uh, you know, rewatched Monterey Pop and Don't Look Back, the two major nineteen sixties uh, D. A. Pennebaker music documentaries. And you know, Don't Look Back, of course, is just like a classic character study of Bob Dylan at this specific moment in time. Uh, you know, if if you're a big Dylan head, maybe it's like not the most interesting Dylan period to you, but it's kind of the most iconic one. Um, and then Monterey Pop, of course, I actually like better as a film. I think it's a very smart film in terms of the editing. Uh, also, you just have some awesome performances. The Otis Redding performance is unbelievable in this. Um, but the way that it intercuts crowd footage and kind of just these hippies making asses of themselves uh, with like the like sometimes a virtuosic artistic ability on stage and sometimes totally fraudulent ability on stage uh, with like what was popular at the time and then you see how like the mamas and the papas were like so involved in like the corporate side of things like uh, you know the presentation of the festival they're all they're always in the backstage areas with all like the suits and stuff like that and like their place is like a quote unquote counterculture band is kind of you know the editing calls it into question uh in the in the way that a frederick wiseman movie would or something like that but it's also a very pop fun concert film so it doesn't force the viewer to think about that so plenty of fans of this kind of music can just watch it and have fun but i think there's a lot under the surface darker especially with it ending with the ravi shankar performance i mean that's like the basis of a great simpsons joke of course now what you've been waiting for 
Another long raga by Ravi Shankar. It's all crowd footage for like the first like, I don't know, if the performance is 12 minutes, I want to say it's like seven minutes of crowd footage. And it's a mix of people pretending to enjoy it, trying to enjoy it. Is totally zoning out, totally tripping balls and like fucking freaking out. Uh, just so many like hilarious shots of people not quite knowing how to respond to this thing that they know they should be positively responding to. Uh, and it is a great performance, by the way. Not, nothing disparaging of Ravi Shankar. But it is very funny that like enough people saw this movie and the 20 minute Ravi Shankar ending that that was like a ubiquitous cultural reference for a 90s Simpsons joke. Um but yeah, so that's uh, some music stuff I've watched recently. And before we say goodbye, uh, I wanted to thank our guest one more time, Karis Hewling, aka DJ Kerosene. Anything uh, you would like to promote or anything like that? Uh, listen to my mixes. I make vinyl mixes. I will post the link in the description of the episode. I've been here for this process. It's painstaking. It's fantastic. All vinyl rips mixed onto SoundCloud right for you. Awesome stuff. All kinds of genres. I guess that's it. I don't know. Malcolm, any any good, any good music you've been listening to lately? I listen to this new album, Ganger by mm. v's okay uh, it's 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 really good i i i you know i've i've had more free time recently and i wasn't really tapped into new music you know what i mean and i kind of have been dipping back in and finding what i like and that album i i really don't think there's a bad track on it just infinitely playable for me and the beats are great I just Googled it and I, I just am getting myself so hard. You know, people like to make fun of like Pitchfork and stuff like that. But like, it's so yeah. much funnier just seeing like actual huge major coverage because I Googled the album and Washington Post says, wake up, V's just dropped the year's best rap album. And just like the picture <laughs> of the Washington Post writer who wrote this headline is just hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sure to be a New York Times bestseller of an album. So yeah. get on the wave early. <laughs> Well, it's good to hear. Uh, I haven't really kept up with anything recently, so I might as well. Uh, I, I feel like the the new John Cale record was probably the last thing I listened to. Uh, new why? Speaking of, uh, I feel like uh, Steve Coogan in this kind of looks like like nineteen eighty five era John Cale, like Words for the Dying, Artificial Intelligence. Like if you look up that Words for the Dying album cover, it looks just like Steve Coogan in this movie. Oh yeah, I definitely see it. The way the way the hair sort of swoops, the hair I, carries I, I, it kind of, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a big swoop maneuver. You know, a lot of a lot of fancy boys of Europe were doing it at the time, and I don't blame them. It looks kind of cool. Anyway, that's it for hair talk, music talk, <laughs> and every other kind of talk on Extended Clip. I'm sorry that our hair talk doesn't match the heights of the Lex G podcast. You know, it never will. See you next week. Bye. Create synergy. A focus for creativity. This is brilliant stuff.